Welcome, Aisha, to the World XP podcast. It's been uh, it's been a long time. I think probably since we've since we've spoken to each other, and uh, yeah, it's been a long yeah, time coming. And I'll leave it at that. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Of course, I found um, all sorts of partly how I go through finding guests is go through people I either haven't talked to in a while is good. It's a good mechanism to catch up with people, even though it's kind of like an underlying thing, but also I found when you started your fitness blog, are we going to call it a blog or how do you want to call it? We'll call it a blog. Yeah, sure. And uh, you started producing content and I saw the content and I was like, wow, this is very polished. And so I was like, this is good let's have a, let's have a chat and see, and see where you're at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started. So, I mean, fitness has been my passion. Uh, I think since like junior year of high school, um, I went through a phase where like I was eating like crap and just felt like crap, wasn't doing anything physical whatsoever. And it started there. It wasn't like the best start per se or like healthy start. Cause when you don't know anything, you just kind of go by what the internet gives you. And then from there on, it just, it became my passion in the past year I left my corporate job and trying to do the thing full time. So, yeah, that's all. I feel like a lot of people our age are kind of wanting to bounce out of the, out of the nine to five corporate yeah. corporate sort of sphere. And I feel also like the working from home during the pandemic helps a lot of people sort of open up to that um, idea of making your own schedule and doing things like that. The, the only caveat I think with making your own schedule and, um, doing that sort of thing is you have to drive yourself. And it's also, something, sure. it's also something that if you're, if you don't like what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to get out of bed to do it because you don't have a boss telling you to do it. You are your boss. And I think, yeah, uh, for sure. I think as you know, who Jordan Peterson said, Jordan Peterson is. Yeah. Yeah. I think he says, uh, <laughs> you're a horrible employee and your own worst boss. So, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, that's where I found myself, honestly, when, we went fully uh, remote. Was it what March of last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, March, February time. Um, I was like, I was getting out of bed and I was doing what was asked of me, but it was just a drag. Like, I was like, I hate doing this. And then going from, I was doing sales. So it's a very one on one, face to face interaction with people. And then going, taking that from in person to over the camera just made it 10 times worse for me, I think, because it was just, I wasn't getting the interaction I wanted to from being in front of people, giving presentations was different online. And I realized like, this is not for me. So I just took the leap and went for it. Yeah. It was risky. It was people called me crazy. They still call me crazy. They're like, you left during the pandemic when people were losing their job and I mean, I, for me, I just think you just have to find a way to do it. I was three years into what I was doing and it, it wasn't going to change as far as like me loving it. I mean, th- I think three years, giving something three years is a decent amount of time. Um, but it was just, how am I going to get myself out of this situation into, and then start working towards what I want to do eventually. And like I said, I mean, I got a nannying job. I'm, I'm personal training people on the side. So you just have to go for it. Yeah, for sure. Can you walk us through that sort of your thought process before you before you quit that job? Because I think a lot of people um, have or are currently thinking about it. I would say if you're saying you've never thought about quitting your job, you're probably lying. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. Um, so can you walk us through sort of the thought process before actually pulling the trigger and, and doing that kind of what's, what things like your, the ducks in a row that you had to have, like what sort of things did you have to have in place before you did that? What were the sort of um, like thought processes and all that stuff before you actually went ahead and did it? Yeah, for sure. So I actually got a promotion um, like a month before I, I decided I was pulling the trigger and it was a promotion that I had been working for, for almost a year and a half. So I got the promotion. I thought I would be psyched um, that I was like, okay, I'm there. And then I kind of felt empty. Like it wasn't what I wanted. It, it just, it wasn't something like, oh my gosh, I been working for this and I achieved it and I feel so great. And that's when I knew exactly in that moment, 
this is not where I belong. This is not what I want to do. And I need to leave now while it's early, while I still have time and I can still pivot and change um, careers. So yeah, strategy wise, I had to be very strategic because it was the pandemic. There weren't a lot of places hiring in general. So I was like, how am I going to leave and still have an income um, and have the income at least that I was making? Cause I was making a decent amount of money at, in the sales job that I was doing. So I started everybody that I followed on Instagram, all the fitness people, everybody was doing online training. And I was like, well, I can do that too. Like, that's fine. So I started just looking up like personal training jobs online. How can I do this? And then it was more, more, more so working for like the big corpo gyms, like uh, gold's gym, planet fitness, all those, they were offering um, videos, but I, and during the time of the pandemic, my gym closed. So I found a normal, like mom and pop gym down the street from me and they were still open because they were private. Um, so I started going there and found people there that needed help getting in shape. Um, so I started training them, tra- started charging them. And then that was the first step. I was like, okay, now I'm getting paid for what I love to do but still not enough for me to actually live on my own. Um, So then I was like, I'm going to nanny on the side, looked up a bunch of nannying jobs, um, more so geared specifically towards families that want somebody bilingual. Um, And I found a family right away that was actually moving from New York to Virginia uh, because of the pandemic. And they have two little uh, five-year-old and two-year-old sons interviewed with them, got the job right away. And then I was like, okay, so I have two place, two sources of income. I can live pretty well on my own. Um, and that's when I finally was like, I know I can do this. Like there are jobs out there. There is money out there. It's not, if I leave my job, it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to be like homeless or have no money coming in. So I gave my two weeks after that. So you already had that stuff already lined up already, everything well, I'll say signed, but you were already bringing in the the other sort of source of income or had, a, had it ready to go before you, you did, before you put in your two weeks, right? Yes. 100%. I'm a very uh, careful person as far as like, I, I needed to know I had money coming in before I was going to let go of my job. Um, it, it wasn't like the leap of faith of just quitting my job and being like, okay, well, I'll figure it out after that. Um, I I had jobs lined up before I left and I would recommend that to anybody. Don't just get up and move. Yeah, definitely. I think that's why um, when you mentioned that when we were chatting briefly before, I I remembered you being relatively uh, careful and you thought stuff out before you, before you did things uh, from our time in in college, at least that I remembered. So I figured it would be (laughs) a good sort of example to ask you how you did it um, because I would not that there's a right or wrong way to do it, but yours is the, the risk mitigated way, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I think that's important for people to hear because often you hear people be like, Oh, I just quit my job and moved to LA and tried to become an actor. And then you don't hear anything from them after that. And it's like, and they come back home. Yep. Yeah. No, I think I'm all for pursuing your passion. If you want to go to LA and become an actor, that's fine, but you have to find a, a side job in LA lined up before you go and do whatever it is you're going to do. And funny, you mentioned that because my boyfriend and I do want to move. I I don't want to move to LA, but California region in general, um, because he has a lot of business out there, but I'm finding myself in the same box again as last year of, I need to have stuff lined up out there before we go ahead and move so I can make sure that I'm okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you found, so I want to touch on one thing real quick, yeah. and that's the the bilingual part. I know it's Spanish is Spanish is the other one as well, right? Yes. And then do you remind me, was was there another language that you also spoke or? So I speak uh, French, Spanish, obviously English and Arabic. Yes, that was the four. Yes. I couldn't remember if it was French or something else. So how does that work in your sort of, have you found that useful in life? Uh, and in just general life, not obviously if you were to travel, it would be useful, but. Yes, 100%. I found it really useful in my sales job because it was like a 
spearhead, like, like it would, and it would just start a conversation right away. But number one, number two, um, we had a plenty of clients that were either Spanish speaking or I didn't really find French, I would say is the least language that I use um, in the US. And, but yeah, we had clients that were Arabic speaking, Spanish speaking, and that would, I would say 100% help me make the sale because that was just like an instant connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, now it's helpful in me finding a nannying job and me personal training people. I mean, I have two clients that are in Morocco. Um, they speak Arabic and French, obviously they don't speak English. So it's helping me, you know, reach a broader, um, range of clients as far as like me still being able to communicate with them about what it is that I need to do nutrition wise or workouts wise and not it having to be in English. Yeah. Do you find yourself um, like with French specifically or the, the ones that you use least kind of, if you were put on the spot, do you find yourself being rusty at all? Cause I remember when we 100%. went to Mexico for, for soccer, like I wasn't, I would never, I wouldn't call myself fluent in Spanish, but by the, when I graduated college, I would say proficient, maybe Yeah. able to like, I have a conversation. Yeah. Have a conversation, like order food at a restaurant, get into a hotel, like all that stuff. No problem. And the first couple of days I was like, Oh my gosh, I forgot everything. And then by oh, the yeah. end, and then by the end I was fine. But do you, do you find that as well? 100%. I, and that happens to me across the board, with all languages besides English, because English, I use it daily, but mm-hmm even with Arabic, I mean, I speak to my mom in Arabic and sometimes I find myself like asking her, how do you say this word in Arabic? Or how do you Mm -hmm. say that word? Um, And then my host family in Spain. So when I, when we were in college, I studied abroad for six months and I lived with a family and I still keep uh, keep in touch with them, FaceTime with them here and there. And they always make fun of me when I get on FaceTime, they're like, Oh no, you're starting to sound American again. Like what happened to you? So that 100% happens to me. Do you try and keep up like and practice them? Like I know you said you spoke with your mom in Arabic and, and your host family in Spain, but do you try and try to find ways to continue to remain fresh? Yes. So I watch uh, if there are shows in whatever the language is, French or Spanish, I try to watch it in that language. Um, sometimes I'll turn subtitles on just to make sure that it's kind of weird. Like I, I understand what it is I'm listening to, but the words help me like almost reassure my brain that, okay, that that's, that makes sense. That's, that's what it is that I'm listening to or that what, what I'm comprehending, but shows um, I'm trying to g- get back into reading um, in French, especially because like I said, that's my rustiest language yeah. out of all of them. Um, podcasts. Um, I'm listening to like random podcasts in Spanish or French or even Arabic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just random resources here and there. Yeah. I try and do that with music, uh, especially in, in Spanish. Um, yeah. But I've Music's not gotten, one. yeah, I've not really gotten to the shows or uh, sometimes I'll listen to if it's a soccer game and the broadcast is in Spanish, I'll listen, but yeah. some, they talk so fast sometimes that it's like, they do not, it's so not fast. even Spanish. I don't is think it, I is can really? understand them if there's, if the soccer commentators, <laughs> Yeah. But music is a huge one. Music is really underrated. Like as far as languages go, it's funny you say that. Um, I was chatting with a guy, a personal trainer and he's based in Morocco and he speaks English really well. So I asked him, I was like, how did you learn English? And he said, music, movies. And I was like, really? Like his accent's decent. He speaks well. I was like, music? He was like, yeah, I just listened to music and I really listened to the words over and over again. And that's how I picked it up. And I was like, wow, that's crazy yeah yeah it's really interesting and then the the more you listen to something in a certain accent like I've had over the last six months I'd say I've had probably 10 to 15 people at least tell me that I sound either like Irish or Scottish and I don't know why really yeah I have no idea but maybe it's the soccer or like the some of the youtube content i watch or whatever i've picked up like little ticks like, or like different like the way i pronounce maybe. certain words here and there but to to your point about him not having him his accent being decent that's probably could be a similar sort of reason why um yeah language is so cool man i need to get back into it is really Spanish cool more. and even like for myself i mean i wasn't born here i was born in morocco and we didn't move here until i was like six seven years old so and I spoke no English when we moved here. So when people hear me speak, they're like, how do you not have an accent? I'm like, I generally, I don't know how it happened. I, I think I remember 
like really, really listening to how every word was pronounced and by every person. And I was like, I have to sound like that. Cause I think in my head, I definitely did have an accident when I spoke and I heard it with myself, but I was like, I need to sound exactly like that person. So I just like practiced words over and over and over. And I guess the accent went away. I don't know. If, I don't Maybe. think I have an accent, but <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think so either. The other thing though, I'm a horrible person to ask about that because with soccer, everyone you talk to is from somewhere else and they, everyone has yeah. accents, whether it's like, like I played with like German players before or like Danish or like oh, yeah. Swedish or then like English, like, I never thought that I would be able to tell the difference between like a Manchester accent, a Scouse accent and a London accent. Oh ever. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so for me, an accent is just kind of like, I don't even notice it anymore. Really. If, the, if that makes sense. You just had I, an accent right now. Yeah. What, which one? <laughs> I think Irish. I've, I've been hearing it. <laughs> uh, see now that, now that I said that you're, you're not going to be able to unremember it. Ah. <sighs> I'm like now really listening to you speak. And I'm like, wait, he does kind of have an accent. Uh, weird. Maybe that'll be a conversation starter at parties. You know, when those come back. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah. Um, Gosh, I don't know if those are coming back. We might go into lockdown again. <laughs> uh, don't say that. We can't, we can't be having that. All right. Moving on from horrible subjects. Yes. Um, so your fitness journey. So you've, you've kind of, it's been a passion of yours for, for a while. And you started with the, what was your sort of drive to turn that into a content creation type type thing? Because obviously people have their passions that they just do and they don't feel the need to share it with people in the way that, that you have. I, so I, I just, everything I do, I kind of go back to like what I was starting and what kind of help I needed and was looking for in the internet and didn't find it. So when I was like kind of miserable and wanting to get in shape. And this was, like I said, junior year of high school, which was 2012, like 2011, 2012. There was really nothing on the internet. Like Instagram was there, but there were no like fitness people starting it yet or any of that. So it was just me going, Googling how to lose weight. And what do you get? Eat a thousand calories, eat 1200 calories, which is you're digging yourself into a hole and just kind of hamster wheeling your fitness journey. So that's what made me want to put content out there. Granted, it's very saturated now. Everybody's got a platform and everybody's putting stuff out there, but I wanted to do it for me and for the people that are still ill-informed um, and want to have information, just the motivation and be able to be out there. And somebody asked me a question through DM, like, how do I do this or how do I do that? And that was kind of why I wanted to put myself out there and do it instead of just kind of find a job through it and start just training people on the side yeah that makes sense I think some of the stuff that you put out during before the gyms opened back up I found helpful as well because there's only so many body weight exercises that you can think of before you get bored 100 um, percent, yeah and so you were doing stuff with like you would fill up gallon jugs with water and use those yeah. as like kettlebells and different things and that was super I don't I never actually did that one, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm, I want to try it. And then I didn't try it, but that's, that's okay. But yeah, I no, it's, like I, opening. yeah, they're open now. So yeah, but that content was super good. I think there was a distinct lack of that uh, last March. I think you jumped on that at a good time and, and you've kept going from there. So what sort of, do you have an end goal or are you just going because you like it? An end goal would be to take it full time and have my own like training coaching company um, and help people. That would be the end goal. So not to have it as a side job or like, you know, just have to be able to rely on it full time income wise and to help. I truly like to help people like we, even though there's so much information out there, you would be surprised at how misinformed people are about training, nutrition, just diets in general. And to be, if I can make one difference in someone's life that is thinking they should cut out all carbs because they're going to lose weight or do a keto diet and actually shift them into just eating like a normal person and still um, get to their goals, then I've made it. Yeah, no, that's great. That's one of the, I don't know if you found this as well, but you were talking just the insane amount of information 
that I've kind of basically just found out what works for me. And I just do that. And I don't really yeah. vary. I don't really vary outside that, that much, especially in terms of diet. Um, yeah. Because, well, it's difficult. I think we were talking offline and uh, about this documentary called Game Changers. And this will be, yeah. we'll have talked about this in the previous episode with Jason by the time this is out. Um, but basically what it is, is this documentary that advocates for a, a vegan sort of diet. Um, and I went and watched a bunch of reviews on it. And basically what I got out of it was do what works best for you, Yeah, <laughs> which, which is, is kind of hard to, if you feel very passionately about something like James Wilkes, who's the producer. And I think mm-hmm. he narrates it. He feels very passionately about like, I think his dad had a heart attack and they said it was partly because of the cholesterol or like buildup yeah. in, his, in his blood. Um, and so he feels very passionately about not eating red meat specifically, but animal products. Yeah. It's hard to be, it's hard to say no. It's hard to like get that out of your head. I don't know if, if you found that when you find something that you're passionate about in terms of like something that, you know, works for you and you want to be like, Hey, this works for me. You should also do it. Well, also remembering that each person has their own body and like it, it works 100%. differently. And I think that's, that's the hardest thing in today's society is there are like, everybody has a platform. Everybody's pushing their idea. And sadly there are, even if there are two to three people listening to you and watching you, they're going to want to follow what you're doing. And they think that your way is the best way. And I always have to tell even my clients, what I tell you, take it with a grain of salt. Like we're in a trial and an error phase. If we do this for a week and it didn't feel good. And you tell me it didn't feel good. Okay. We're going to change it until we find something that works for you. Just because I do, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And, but I do find myself like, I'm very anti all these random fad diets. Like for example, the keto diet or the Atkins diet. Like I, What's when my the, friends, the Atkins diet, it's like all protein basically. So the, the bulk of what you're eating is protein. And then every diet is that's out there is advocating for no carbs. Yeah. Your body needs carbs to function. Um, and yeah, so that's the Atkins or keto obviously is high fat. So mm-hmm. and when I get a friend that tells me, I think I'm going to try the keto diet. That's when like, I go into like full on passion mode and I'm like, why would you do this? And sometimes I, you have to let people kind of try it and they get the success for however many weeks they put into it. And then you go back into living a normal life and then everything's undone. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those diets are, they take a lot of planning rather than just kind of being smart with what you eat. If you go on one of these like keto or vegan, it takes a lot of like a lot more planning than just, I don't want to say being smart with what you're eating, but it's kind of, it's like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the one thing that there was, James Wilkes went on Rogan's podcast after the documentary came out. And there was another guy named Chris Crasser who kind of was, I'll say debunking stuff in the film, but Mm -hmm. it's not really debunking because it depends on what anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so they were all basically how it kind of ended up working out was one of them would make a point and say it's healthier because of X, Y, Z. And then the other person would say compared to what? And in every study, it's the standard American diet, which I think at the time consists of like burgers, soda, fries, and like pepperoni pizza or something. I think it's else. still the standard American diet. Yeah. And so, well, just in terms of what they use for studies. Right. Um, and then the other guy would say, well, this is also healthy. And then they'd be like, compared to what? The standard American diet. And basically it's like, both of them are healthier than the standard American diet. Mostly yeah. because anything is healthier than that. If we're being honest with, with ourselves. 100%. Um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. So the, basically just, as long as you don't do that, the standard American diet, and you're like smart with what you're doing, instead of getting fries as a side at a restaurant, you get a salad or broccoli or whatever, or vegetables yeah. and things like that. So you'll kind of, you're putting yourself at a, in a better place almost immediately just by like those little decisions. Yes. But I think that's where people don't want to put the work in, if you will, like you being smart with your diet is like you said, get the salad instead of the fries, but people don't want to do that. And that's where people like almost were very like coddling society in America. And it's like, Oh, it's okay. You had a bad week. Go ahead and have the side of fries. It's like, well, why would you want to add to your bad week and get a side of fries and make yourself feel 10 times worse? Cause you know, you're going to feel bad after that. So 
that's the being smart part is people don't want to do that. So they rather plan, like you said, for that keto for 12 weeks and then lose the 15, 20 pounds and then go back to living normally and repeating the same cycle over and over. I never understood that. Like, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way to those listening, but I never understood that sort of mindset of I'm just going to do this for a couple of weeks and then see the results and then just revert back to what I was doing that put me back in the crap, crap situation that I was in in the first place. And I know it's hard to maintain a level of fitness and diet for years because I've done it slash been doing it. It's not yeah. always easy. No, there's always days where I'm like, Ugh. yeah, but the thing is now that I've at the, I've been at the point where I've been maintaining it for like years now, I know that I can, if I want to get the fries instead of vegetables, because I've put in the work over years and I know like the next exactly. day, I'm not just going to be like, Oh, I got fries once I can just continue to get fries. Exactly but you're informed. So you know how your body works and the amount of um, physical activity that you put into it every single day. And there's this checks and balances with yourself. And that's what people miss is those checks and balances. They'd rather it's a where America especially is a very instant like gratification society. So I want to lose weight. I want to lose X amount of weight in this amount of time. And that's why we spearhead towards those diets instead of, I want to lose this amount of weight. What's the realistic amount of time I'm going to have to put into it and then maintain it afterwards. What, Mm -hmm. what diet changes, what habitual changes that I make throughout this time to lose that weight that I can keep making lifestyle wise to, to keep that weight off. And that's where people miss the point. It's I lose 20 pounds. I can look good for whatever it is I'm trying to do. And then I can go back to eating how I wanted to eat or drink. And I don't understand that mentality either. And I try to every client I get, I'm like, listen, this is not you being with me for six to 12 weeks. I'm truly trying to, to teach you ways to go about things that you can use for the rest of your life. Not just you're with me and you lose 10 pounds and you go back to what you were doing before because then you just wasted your money and time. Yeah. Also after I eat unhealthy, I feel horrible afterwards. So I don't like, I don't even like doing it anymore. It's not worth like the taste. The other thing uh, talking about maintaining it though. So after at graduation, I was like high one eighties or so Mm -hmm. I'm like one seventy now. Wow. And so I've just, but I've been at like low one seventies ever since basically. So I made those like changes to how I was eating. And like, I eat a lot more salmon now instead of going to like the UC and just getting ice cream or whatever. Yeah. Like I don't, that's not available to just do anymore. Um, but also uh, like you get to a point where you feel good at a certain weight. And so I don't feel the need to lose anymore or gain any, like, I feel good. Like in terms of athletics, like my performance is good. I don't need, but it took, at least a year to lose like the 15 pounds. And yeah. that's not in terms of a fad diet. That's a long time to lose 15 pounds. I agree. Um, I, yeah, I'd say I'm the same with you. I mean, I think it's a, you're at a beautiful place now to just maintain mm-hmm. and do what you love to do. And that's the place I want to get to. I was there last year, but then I was like, I want to work towards a bikini bodybuilding show. So that's just something I'm working towards. But after that, like, I just want to go back to normal weight that I'm happy at and my performance is great at. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it took me, same with me after college, uh, took me like a year and some change to lose 20, 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just small changes. It wasn't anything crazy, no random diets. Um, I do count macros and that's for some people and not for others. So I'm not here to, I'm not here to push any sort of like way to go about it, but that's what got me there. And I truly enjoy it. And it's also taught me that I can go days without doing it and still not ruin my progress because I know how much of a a bowl of cereal or serving of cereal is supposed to look like, or serving of chicken is supposed to look like versus Mm -hmm. just willy-nilly throwing things in a plate and eating them and hoping for the best yeah that's what i was going to say about counting them is it's almost just so you eventually know kind of you can ballpark where you're at day to day um the other thing when you're maintaining have you ever found that 
sometimes I find this where it's like the numbers aren't changing at all. And so it's like less, it's hard to be like when you're actively, whether it's lifting and you're going up in numbers or you're losing weight, you're going down in numbers when you're kind of maintaining and the numbers are staying the same, you find it hard, like for you personally, or for your clients that are at that spot to find the motivation for you or them. For clients, 100%, um, because like I said, people, instant gratification, if you're here and you want to gain muscle and you want to see the scale go up and you don't see it, you kind of immediately go, oh, I'm not making any progress and vice versa. Mm. But I think there's such a beautiful thing about maintenance if that's what your goal is. Like when I was right before wanting to compete and making that a goal, I was, I lost the 25 pounds and I was still like happy. I was going out with friends on the weekends, doing what I wanted to do. And the scale wasn't really changing. Maybe it will go up like a pound or two here, here or there. Um, And I was very happy at that point. Like I knew what I was eating, how much I was eating. My performance in the gym wasn't declining. It was just either with maintenance, honestly, it was probably still progressing because I was like fueling my body with the amount that it needed to. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's a beautiful place for clients. It's always a tough conversation, especially with people that come to me that are under eating and I have to slowly work them back up to maintenance at least before we could even touch a dieting phase. And it's always a tough conversation to say, Hey, we've, we've got to go towards this direction and you might see the scale go up instead of the opposite before we can healthily go into a fat loss phase. Yeah. I didn't even consider that now that you mentioned that um do you know uh daniel pan is the name ring a bell he's like a photographer and bodybuilder he went to umw then the um daniel daniel you said daniel yeah i feel like i follow him on instagram but you might i think he was yeah. so when i he was on the podcast a while ago i think it was episode eight shameless plug go check it out um <laughs> he had to, so he was competing in a bodybuilding competition. He goes into detail when, when we talked, but basically what happened was he gained a butt ton of weight, like was eating Wendy's four for fours and like doing all this other stuff, like crazy stuff. And then to build muscle. And then when I think four months out, maybe Mm -hmm. he was at the gym, basically on the Stairmaster doing lifting and then eating like a cup of rice and like something else for breakfast and like doing mad cutting for the bodybuilding thing. And I was like, yo, you're nuts. But to your point about getting up to a certain weight so we can healthily decline, obviously that's not yeah. the way for bodybuilding is different, but the concept still applies. And that didn't even occur to me really. Yeah. I mean, you're most people or I'm going to say I have female clients. So most females aren't eating enough um, and their choices of what they're eating makes it 10 times worse too. So when they come to me and I always say, I don't like just take people on right away. I'm like, okay, I'm, I need a week of just go ahead and track what you, how you currently eat mm-hmm. and give it back to me. And then we go from there. So when I get the, my fitness pal logs of a week, it's like 700 calories today, 2000 calories the next day, 1300 calories. And then it's like an average of maybe 1200, 1300 calories for the week. And that doesn't put you in a successful spot to lose weight because you're your metabolism is already processing such low calories that me, if we just kind of, you can lose weight. Sure. I can go ahead and um, pull 200 calories. Now you're at a thousand. You want to go ahead and pull 200 more. Now you're 800. And then you're starting. Exactly. And your body, but your body will fight you because at that point you're not fueling it enough. So I always have to have that conversation of, okay, we're actually going to reverse diet. And we're going to go back up to maybe 1800, 1900 calories so that when we do diet, mm-hmm. we don't have to scrape the bottom of the barrel and eat so little to lose weight. And that's actually what my coach has me doing right now is we're reverse dieting so that I can be in a decent spot come January to be able to diet for four or five months before my show and not be eating 600 calories. That's not healthy for yeah. anybody, bodybuilding yeah. or not. Yeah, no, that's exactly what Daniel did for for his show. Same timeline and everything. Um, do you have any sort of, uh, I guess I'll call it like high end athlete clients that you work with? Because I know for at least for myself, like when you talk when you talk about like calorie numbers, and obviously male different than female, but mm-hmm. the numbers that I'm eating are up towards like 
three sometimes like depending on what sort of workouts I'm doing like 3,000 3,500 type do you have um have you ever done that with the client before where where they're like trying to maintain like peak performance and you need to get them like the correct amount of macros rather than saying like we're trying to diet and lose weight yeah yeah I actually have two women right now um who are severely underweight um and we're we're trying to get back up there I have a girl that's eating almost 3,000 calories um and she is lifting four times a week and no cardio um and we're we're getting there she's been with me for seven to eight weeks now um we're up three pounds and it's an average of three pounds. So I don't want, I have people weigh at least four times a week so I can get a, an average idea of what, where we are weight wise, not just a random, like once a mm-hmm. week. Number. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do have women that are eating more than I'm eating to, to get to their performance that they want, or just to get to the weight and that they want to get to not just lifting wise, but yeah. a decent so weight. When you get a client, what's your sort of our perspective client, what's your process of how, how do you decide? Like, I know you mentioned the logging the food, but what's your process for kind of figuring out their goals, what sort of things they should be eating, what sort of exercise regimen, what sort of like, what's your process for kind of sorting all that out? So I have a questionnaire um, that like is detailed. It goes from amount of sleep, amount of water, caffeine, stress, um, how many times do you go out a week? How many times, how many times do you drink a week? So just like a whole lifestyle questionnaire that they fill out. I get that back, um, look through it, then go through the whole, my fitness pal log of how much they're eating. Um, and then I have to have the conversation of, I get, get on the phone with them and see if they're willing to track their habits and not everybody, not all my clients, um, count macros. It's not for everybody but we do have to have some sort of calorie counting. If you do have a goal of getting to a weight loss or muscle gain or maintaining. Um, so getting on the phone and making sure that you do want to track your habits, track your sleep, track your caffeine intake, water intake steps, um, your alcohol, if you are going to be drinking, all that goes into the conversation before I can say, okay, yeah, I can take you on. And I've had people that say, yes, I'm super committed to, doing all of that. And then I get a log back the first day of check-in and it's like one day of sleep is filled in or one day of steps is filled in. And I'm just like, well, you're not serious. So then I have to have the conversation of, are you willing to track all of this? And it's, it's a battle. And some, sometimes I, I have let people go because it's, I don't want to take your money and I don't want you to waste my time. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's my name on the line and I don't want you to go on social media or word of mouth and say, Oh, I was with her for eight weeks and nothing. And I saw no progress. And it's all the progress starts with you. Yeah. And it, I'm just, I'm just telling you what you should be doing. If you're not doing it, then there's not much I can do for you. Yeah, that's fair. Are there like certifications and stuff in terms of personal training that, uh, that you or other personal trainers need to get, or how does that, or is there like a way that, like right now you have word of mouth, but is there something that's, I think on your Instagram, you have like letters by your name. Yeah. So, um, last year I went through an ASM, um, and got certified to be a personal trainer. Honestly, I feel like there are, and I'm sure there are people out there that are not certified at all. They're just going by their experience, which is fine. I mean, an ASM was great as far as textbook material, understanding the body. Um, it just gives you like the general guidelines of exercises and how to go about taking somebody on and teaching them how to exercise from 0.0 to 100 or whatever it is they're mm-hmm. wanting to get to. Um, so yeah, I went through NASM and I'm currently working on um, getting my nutrition certification through precision nutrition. Um, but again, I think people should get certified. I think you should take classes. I think you should read books and obviously experience experiment, but um, no, a certification doesn't mean that you are good at what you do. <laughs> That's true. Not to hurt anybody's feelings out there about it. Yeah, I'm sure everyone is very hurt. <laughs> anybody can <laughs> anybody can read and uh, take a test. Yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit um, yeah. in terms of dieting because I know uh, you celebrate Ramadan, and I mm-hmm. have several teammates that uh, celebrate Ramadan, mm-hmm. and I've I witnessed. Well, 
one of my teammates, his name is Barack. If he watches this, Hi, Barack. Uh, he, he probably won't watch it. That's <laughs> fine. Um, but we would be at halftime during our games, like evening games, the sun would set <clears> and he would just eat like a bunch of nuts or like high protein, high fat because mm-hmm. he hadn't eaten all day. And it's hot, obviously summer outside, very humid. Yeah. And we're going through a 90 minute game. And this, these are not like, these are difficult games in terms of yeah. physical exertion. So how do you, during Ramadan specifically, kind of make sure that you get the right amount of nutrients, the right amount of time in between when you eat. And also I don't, and refresh me on what the actual, I don't want to call them rules, but I guess customs are for yeah. when you can eat and not eat. So with Ramadan, um, you can eat when the sun goes down um, and you can, um, and you have to stop eating before the sun comes up. And that defers each year because Ramadan is the ninth month of the lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. And so it follows the moon, obviously, and it defers each year time-wise, um, month-wise in the, I guess, Christian calendar, if you will, calendar, Gregorian yeah. calendar. Um, so for example, this past year, it was half of April, half of May. Um, for me, this was the first year that I made it a goal to train in the morning instead of at night, because the past couple of years, I felt like my progress slash my uh, performance was just declining. And it always does during Ramadan, because like you said, it's, it's hot. You're not getting the water that you need. You're not getting the food that you need. But this year was the first time that I actually felt like I had a grasp on Ramadan and food and training hand in hand. So I think you asked me what, how I go about it. Yeah. How do you go about it? Yeah. So this year I would wake up. I will, I will preface this by saying sleep does suffer a little bit. And that's for anybody, not just me waking up at three o'clock and eating three o'clock in the morning and eating before I go to the gym, but people that do stay up later and eat as well. Something takes a backseat in Ramadan. It's either your food or your sleep. And you can kind of pick which one you want to give up a little bit. Um, I was still getting like six hours of sleep, but it wasn't my, I normally am like a Nazi about getting eight hours of sleep (laughs) a a night. So, um, so I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I would do a protein shake, a Greek yogurt, and that would all go in the protein shake, some fruit, blend it all up. And then peanut butter or almond butter, like you, like you said, some sort of high fat. Um, and then I would do rice cakes on my way to the gym. So that was like my carb pre, um, workout meal. And on my way to the, so yeah, I would go to the gym, um, in my shaker bottle, I had coconut water, um, Himalayan pink salt and creatine. And that's what I would drink in the middle of my workout. Um, so by that time it was like maybe four thirty, five o'clock. That was it for me. So I would train, can't have any water or food after that, um, go about my day for the rest of the day. And then once we can eat, which was around eight o'clock in the evening, this past this year, um, I would do a protein shake oatmeal with some sort of like peanut butter, nut butter in it. Um, and then wait about two to three hours. Um, I would do a lean protein source, like chicken. That's what I mostly eat, um, veggies and then like avocado. So during Ramadan, I try to keep it high fat just because it's easier to eat uh, higher like calories when you're eating fat. And then I can get my calories in that way. Versus the past couple of years, I would try to do high carb and it, I would be really full and not eat enough at the end of the day because I wasn't hungry for my next two or three meals. Yeah. Um, and then I would try to, I would still make it a point to get to bed by like 11-ish um, and do it all over again for 30 days. I didn't realize you couldn't drink water either. I yeah, thought that was the exception. Water. No, I wish. Then your yeah. friend Barack wouldn't be suffering on the soccer field. No, he still would have been suffering because he probably <clears> just ate. Never mind. I'm not going to go into that. Barack, love you, bro. <laughs> um, so just for my own curiosity, where did that custom come from? Where, like, what kind of is the history behind, behind it? Because I know right in, in the Christian faith, uh, like Jesus was in the desert for I think 40 days with only yeah. like bread and water or something like that. I don't remember the exact story. Yeah. Um, is that, is that a similar sort of origin or kind of how did that, and by similar, I mean like 
a similar sort of story within the within yeah. the Muslim faith rather than that exact one is, is what I meant. But yeah. Um, so Ramadan, it's Ramadan's a holy month and it's believed to be the month where the prophet Muhammad received revelations from God through the angel Gabriel and revelations was the Quran, which is, I think, 114 chapters. Don't quote me on that. Um, and yeah, so that was it was believed that's when the month that God bestowed his words and wisdom upon Muhammad. And that's when Ramadan started. And I think <clears throat> it's it's one of the five pillars is, is fasting of mm-hmm. Islam. So that's when it all started. And it is the ninth, like I said, the ninth month of the lunar calendar. Um, but that's the history behind it. I want to say, I, I have notes here just so I don't, cause I'm not the best practicing Muslim out there. So no, just going to say that um, I think it started around 610 AD. So that's the history behind it, if you will. Um, gotcha and Muhammad wanted to show, I guess, um, I want to say, and also don't quote me on this. Obviously part of the revelations was to fast for God and fasting is the only thing we do in Islam that is for God. It's our way of thanking him, I guess, for everything that we have, every other pillar it's, you do it for yourself. And I guess for the end of life and when you're going to get judged, but, um, that was one of the things that God asked of Muhammad. I'm giving you all of this knowledge. So what you're, this is what you repay me back. When you were little and you would like your parents would be like, all right, it's Ramadan can't eat all day. Did you understand? I don't want to say why, but was that difficult for you growing up? Be like, why can't I eat during these, like during this whole month? Like I want whatever. So I want to say, I don't, I'm, I don't know if you know this or not. You don't fast until you hit puberty. Did not so, know that. yeah. So you don't fast until you hit puberty that, and for, that goes for um, boys and girls, females mm-hmm. and males. Um, and when I was little, I just remember being like excited when I say little, it was like maybe, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. It was like, Oh, Ramadan starting. Cause it's such a, like, a special month for everybody you know you're gonna see your relatives you get this huge like table of awesome meals and sweets and whatnot and that's what like the kid in me remembers mm-hmm. um and I would ask my mom if I can fast and I would do like a half a day so it would be like at noon I can eat um and then once but it is understood that once you reach puberty then you have to fast a whole the whole 30 days for the actual entire day yeah. because you're then you're deemed an adult and you can right fast but there are obviously exceptions if you have medical reasons not to or if you are pregnant or you take medication so there are exceptions to the mm-hmm. rules it's not just uh, everybody needs to yeah fast to so, let me, so let me rephrase the question then think like i can think of times when i was younger and then there would be i would watch either my parents or older cousins or whatever have to do something or I'd be like, oh, I really don't want to do that. And then yeah. you turn the, like the next year and then it's like, okay, now you also have to do that and like, yeah. dread, and like be dreading it. Did you have that sort of experience? 100%. And I will be honest, I dread it still now every single year because at, I mean, as a kid, and I think I started fasting when I was 13, like I said before that I would be excited because it was like, oh, I can fast half a day. It's fine. It was an exciting thing, but to be told you can't eat, you can't drink water, um, nobody wants to do that. And especially as a kid and being in the United States and being in a country where Ramadan is really not celebrated by the majority mm-hmm. of the population. And you go to school and everybody is still doing their normal activities and still eating, still drinking. And you're 13 and you're like, I hate this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be doing this. Um, yeah, it definitely is, was something that I dread and I hate to say it, but I still dread it every year because you have to reshift your entire schedule and how you do everything to, to do that. Mm-hmm. When you were in school, did you find that the other kids were fairly understanding of, of Ramadan and what you were doing or was it kind of a mix or how did, what was your, what was your experience like in school being, um, it's not weird, but as kids would view it, the weird doing the it's, weird yeah. thing. 
it is weird. I mean, it's weird to people. It's weird to kids. Um, I would say my experience for the most part was pretty positive. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia. It's a pretty diverse community. I went to Wakefield High School. I went to Kenmore Middle School. It's a very diverse community. So we had Muslims we that were fasting. Um, people are always very curious if you're doing something different than they do. So there were always lots of questions and why are you doing this? And well, don't you want to just drink water? Well, can't you just have a piece of gum or you know, just the normal curiosity questions. But overall, my experience was positive. I think up until I want to say college um, and still in college, people were like, nobody was rude, but it was just the way things were said, maybe like almost like a backhanded compliment or, oh, I could never do that. Like that just sounds so crazy or that just sounds so not good for you or so stupid. So um Overall, my experience was positive, um, but I always have to, even now out of college, in my, was in my corporate job, now just doing my own thing. People are always asking questions. It's never just, a, oh, I'm fasting. Okay. And they go about their day. They always have to like, why yeah. do you do it? How, how long do you do it? Don't you, can't, won't you die? It's, there's a lot of, uh, won't you die questions and uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I definitely the first time that I um, encountered somebody uh, celebrating Ramadan, I think I I definitely asked questions as well. But now I, I make it a point to not really, I don't say bother bother them, but I just I know what they're doing and I don't feel the need to ask and just because you're informed. Yeah, um, and, and and the questions are fine. I don't want to sit here and make people like think they shouldn't ask questions but there's a way you go but there's a there's a curiosity like what is it why do you do mm-hmm. it how long is it for versus the won't you die yeah this of course crazy don't you and like people that are like what well, you can't have water like you must want to have water or like oh come on this piece of gum won't kill you like that's where like the backhanded compliments yeah. and just rudeness comes out yeah I am glad to hear though that your experience was mostly positive growing up in, in the U.S. while celebrating that because I know especially given the way that um, the U.S. is now in terms of divisiveness and d- different yeah. uh, issues that you would uh, not expect but you would be um, it wouldn't be as surprising if the if your experience had been less positive I guess was, we'll say I mean. I was fortunate enough to have gone to diverse schools. And I would say University of Mary Washington was still decent. I mean, we still had diversity. It wasn't like, and people were, it was people that like you and I came from high schools that were pretty diverse. Um, But my brother had the total opposite experience. He went to the University of Richmond. I'm not going to go into detail. And I'm sure you know what's happened there, especially in the past year, but he he had racist things said to him and remarks mm-hmm. said and made and his experience wasn't positive so it just it depends on where you are and the people that are around you in the environment they grew up in unfortunately yeah that's quite sad to hear i think I even it goes back to the thing we we're talking about about just dieting about each to each to their own it's kind of it's how i view life generally yeah. um if you are not you or whoever is not actively infringing on me to do whatever like I don't I really don't have a problem like you do you it's your life like I'm not responsible for it I agree Uh, but I think it's a people almost feel I think it's the human nature to feel like threatened or afraid if you do something different than I do and that's kind of like a defense mechanism almost the backhanded questions or comments or whatever is like I don't understand it I don't want to understand it and that's it versus just either not understanding it and keeping it to yourself and you're not hurting me and I'm going to keep going about my day or I'm curious and I want to know and thanks for informing me and I'll still keep going about my day so yeah how do you think we get more people to have that mindset of the the curiosity I want to understand but I'm still assured in myself that I don't feel the need to kind of be defensive about how I'm living my own life and make a backhanded compliment or that sort of thing. How do you think we go about getting more people to have that sort of mindset? I think the number one thing, 
I don't want to say like education, but like traveling, traveling is a huge part of just broadening your understanding of different cultures, customs, languages, foods, everything. So I traveled when I was yay big to still now. And I know whenever I step foot into a country, I need to look up the way they greet each other. They do things. So I don't offend anybody. And yeah, that goes back to education. Like we have the internet, we have a plethora of information, but you have to be willing to partake in all of that. And that goes back to, you should travel and get out of your own comfort zone to understand how to talk to people and understand the world around you versus being in your own bubble and only understanding what you do and how your community does it. And then not being open to anything else. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. The example I always use is um, I was in South Africa for like three weeks with yeah. a, with a, it was a, it was a big group, and, but we were able to, when we went places, it was kind of just, all right, buses parked here. Don't go to that part of the neighborhood. Yeah. Otherwise meet back here in like two hours or whatever. And I would always just kind of wander around and try to, and most of the people spoke English. So that was obviously helpful. Yeah. Um, but I would just find people, ask them questions like our, tour guides who are from there i just ask them all sorts of questions all the time um and then in mexico is a little bit different we were there for soccer so we were kind of in a bubble yeah a little bit but we still interacted with people um but yeah and that's one of the things i i need to travel more but traveling is huge because you just learn how different people live kind of how they go about their lives and what sort of customs and different things that they have and yeah even if you don't know the reasons for them, then it kind of makes you look at how you live yourself and say, well, I was curious about why that culture did this, this way. I don't actually know why I do this, this way. Let me figure out why. And it kind yeah. of can spark a curiosity in you. Yeah. And you, you learn, I think traveling, you learn so much more about yourself as a person rather than, yeah, you learn about the culture and tradition of wherever place you're in, but you learn so much about yourself in terms of like how you think, how you handle situations, um, how you ask questions. So like, for example, when I was um, studying abroad and you know, Europe, it's a very like close knit, just everybody's shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's kissing mm -hmm. each other's faces. And like, that was fine. And here we're kind of like personal space, scoot back. We just are a larger country in general and that was like the first thing I realized when I was in Europe, I was getting frustrated because people would just bump into me and not say, excuse me, or like, like try to almost stand next to you if you're in line versus behind you and like give you your space. And I was getting like frustrated and like almost arguing with people. And then I went back to my host family and I asked them and they were just like, that's just the way it is here. Like by nature, the spaces are much smaller. People are okay standing next shoulder to shoulder bumping into you is not a huge deal because you are standing shoulder to shoulder. They don't feel the need to say, excuse me, because it's implied that like we're in a close environment. So I don't need to say sorry for bumping into you. So I had to kind of not take that personally. Like you don't need that. It's not the way they do, do things there. And it's, I would need, I need to be okay with that. So that's just a small example, but in general, like travel, you learn more about yourself yeah. than anything else no that's a very good example i think especially because it has it deals with kind of adversity and stuff that's happening to you rather than something that you just noticed happening like across the across the street or whatever yeah um because then you have to figure out how to deal with a difficult situation in a culture where certain <laughs> things might be like you don't know where the line is in this culture versus like in the u.s like the line of like where it turned not that you would want to get into a physical confrontation but like you know where the line is more 100 percent, yeah um and you don't know where the line is there um i also think that studying abroad i don't know i still think that i wouldn't have done it but i think probably at least at umw i don't know i don't recall it being readily available in terms of information i don't know I is agree. it so I think probably UMW in particular, because that's my experience, but I think colleges generally probably, I think you would learn more. 
I tell people this often. I think I learn more about myself and living about myself in college than I actually learn from like the books and stuff. 100%. Um, and I think that is a, you would probably do the same studying abroad. So I think probably that information and the opportunities that are available should probably be more readily sort of out there, easier to access, find information about, et cetera. I agree. I mean, with studying abroad, I remember I was having to ask all the questions and like find all the resources. It wasn't just like, oh, you want to study abroad? Okay, here is everything you need to know and apply and do it. Um, They were helpful, but I was the one kind of spearheading the entire thing. Um, I think it's really important. Like colleges should push that and traveling should just be pushed in general, but um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard because every, we have everything available to us here that it almost makes you feel like, why would I want to go to a different country? And, and it's, um, I don't know if you follow, oh, actually, Never mind. You probably don't know her, but um, I'm getting college and high school mixed up. Together. No, you're good. But um, there's a friend from high school that I follow, and she's like traveled. I think almost I think 40 countries now. Um, that's awesome. And that's what she's doing and documenting it on Instagram. And the other day, she put up a question of um, when you want to travel, do you get family members or friends or acquaintances trying to tell you, "Oh, don't go there. I had the worst experience," or don't go there. I heard they're super racist. And she made a blog post about it. That was really interesting. It was just like, don't impose your own experience on other people. Like, oh, you want to go to Africa? Awesome. Cool. Let me know how it goes versus, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I heard X, Y, Z. So I'm not sure where I was going with that, but. No, no. Well, I mean, that's important. There's also the flip side to that where somebody, it depends on who that anecdote is coming from as well. Like if if I were to say, I didn't have a great experience here, at least to, to like you or one of my other friends, I feel like it would be taken more, uh, seriously than maybe somebody who's just like, ah, that was horrible, but like, they don't have a reason why. So it depends on kind of like who the person is. But the other thing is in terms of study abroad is if you don't have all the information readily available. I don't think I was ready to do that in college just from a personal perspective. But if I was like on the fence and they made me do all the work to figure it out, I would like, that would be like, nah, I'd rather not go. So it's tough. It's tough because you want people to go like college kids are not the most proactive generally. (laughs) I would would agree. So to do something that's scary where they have to do all the work, it's like, why would I do all the work? for something that I don't even know if I want to do. No, I agree. And th- yeah, they should have, it should be a more like you, we we um, encourage this to be done and give you all the resources, answer all the questions and have people that did the studying abroad thing and like to talk to, I mean, the, UMW did have some people, but it, all they said was like, it was awesome. It was life-changing. And I hate when people say things like that because it's like, why was it life-changing? Yeah. Why was it awesome? What yeah. can I expect from this experience? And like you said yourself, if you were on the fence and you go and somebody tells you it was life-changing, it would probably kind of make you like, okay, I don't want to go anymore. I don't even mm-hmm. want to do this. Cause like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it should be more advocated for, cause it is a form of education and it's better than putting your nose into a textbook and trying mm-hmm. to read about a culture versus living in yeah living in it is definitely the way to go they did do well even we had like exchange students at umw mm-hmm. and nobody knew that those people existed either i no, had to they go put them in a bubble <laughs> yeah i had to go seek them out and then i became friends with um with a few of them and that was really yeah. good because i would ask them all sorts of questions all the time and i learned more that way but yeah i don't know they put them in a bubble. I think, mm-hmm. uh, so like my brother's school, U of R, I would say they did a good job as far as like receiving um, foreign exchange students was they didn't put them in like a hall by themselves. It was like, okay, you go to this dorm, you get an actual normal American mm-hmm. college attendant and that's it. Like that's how they assimilated into the culture. And it was a year's worth of um, studying abroad versus I was there for six months. So I think a whole year of being in a college here and getting to be around people, people loved it. And it wasn't like UMW. I think it was 
in the international i forget which hall it was in but they were all just like, together yeah it was the one that was like behind jefferson like yeah down the they hill. were all just yeah. together and of course you all you know if you're in an uncomfortable situation you stick to people that are like you and mm-hmm. that are just as uncomfortable as you are and that doesn't help anybody us or no. them yeah i definitely didn't i think we got lucky with a couple of the ones that were there that wanted to play soccer um and were willing to kind of bring bring me and a couple of other of the soccer players over we hung out with them fairly often yeah. i think we i think we got lucky um in yeah. that respect but yeah i think uh said you had an hour and is a good place to stop i've i would say so yeah really appreciated the time uh definitely learned a lot and if for those listening that are on the fence about traveling uh go travel yeah definitely go travel no covid exists right now and that stinks so do your research but um yeah the education from that is definitely worth worth the weight in gold i would say 100 percent uh where can we find your fitness stuff on social media so I am on Instagram at Aisha.fit and that's A-I-C-H-A dot fit. Um, I am on YouTube, but it is mostly Arabic content. So if anybody out there is listening in Arabic, it is also um, Aisha's aesthetic. So same first name and then A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm online. Sounds good. We'll get all those links in the description. We'll make it easy for everybody to find those. And with that, we'll be sure to uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Bye, everybody. Bye.